Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's uh, Weekend at Bernie's 2 of a TV show, um, a sh- a Game of Thrones. Uh, my name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. How you doing, Brian? Okay, Doug. Uh, let the listeners know I'm kind of uh, a little bit under the weather, but oh. we'll get through it. it I, what did you think? Was Did the second, um, the second uh, of those movies hold up? Yeah, I like the... Um, the cultural racism <laughs> they introduced to uh, the Weekend of Bernie's franchise by oh. having him like get reanimated by a voodoo priestess in Jamaica yeah. or something. I don't know. Yeah. I only saw the movie once. First one, though, is Comedy Gold. I, it's one of those movies at uh, right time, right place. Uh, I'd, I still enjoy it. I put it on a few times, though, but it's not so great. Especially the acting of Jonathan Silverman doesn't hold up. You mean the same guy that was in uh, a movie in the 80s where he was in literal uh- blackface? Oh God! What did he? Yeah. Oh yeah. Which I'll one? Uh, I'll IMDb that before the end of the show. But yeah. Are uh, you thinking of Soul Man? That's it. It's it's not him. It's somebody else. And I don't. Oh, it looks just name. like him. Uh, well, you know what? I could be wrong. Well, we're gonna IMDb that during the course of the show and get back to you. Regardless, we are here today to talk about um, Game of Thrones season three, episode four, entitled "And Now His Watch Has Ended." Is ended. Sorry. Um. So, initial impressions of this episode. I feel like it's starting to ramp up. Um, this is this had one of the better moments from... There was a shitload of great moments in Book 3, uh, Storm of Swords. And this had a couple of them in there. Um, it wasn't as impactful as the books, but still, I feel like this is... Uh, things are starting to happening, or happen. I feel like there's a, a momentum building. Um, so, I, gotta, I think overall this episode was mainly positive. Yeah, I agree. I think this was a pretty good episode. Uh, moved a lot of things forward. We still had some interesting uh, interactions between characters. Uh, Varys meeting Olena was very cool. I thought the um, actual show invention uh, of Varys showing the wizard was interesting. Uh, so I thought there was some pretty good stuff in this episode, and I liked it. And by the way, it was C. Thomas Howell. Oh, what else has he done? He did a bunch of other shitty 80 movies. Uh, Red Dawn, Grandview USA, The Outsiders, I think was the big one. You've probably seen uh, as Pony Boy. He was in E.T., it says here. Yep. Yep. So, okay, anyways. Well, that's the guy. All right. Uh, you send all your angry letters to uh, C. Thomas Howell. Mm-hmm. And uh, who who makes the conscious choice to go by an initial as their first name? Uh, I think a lot of times in Hollywood, there is already might be a Thomas Howell, or there might have been a Charles Howell, or whatever this first name, actually Christopher Howell. I think that happens a fair amount. Uh, yeah. Or he, just a pretentious asshole. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't draw the line through it and go like C is in like the scent sign or yeah. something more creative. Um, well, certainly after he was in Soul Man. <laughs> <laughs> All he's right. making that money. <laughs> making that dollars. All right, so yeah. um, uh, let's jump right in. Um, yep. So the episode starts off with Jamie and Brienne. They're still in the hands of their captives, the Bolton captives. Jamie has his hand slung about his neck um, and the men ta- taunt him. Um, with talk of ass play with his sister, um, which is always classy. Jamie uh, falls from his horsey because I guess he's sleepy, and they uh, uh, make fun of him. They make him drink horse urine. Um, he's able to get a hold of a sword, but he sucks at being left-handed and I guess being uh, chained and traumatized by losing his right hand. Anyway, they ter- take turns just beating the shit out of him. Uh, and that's pretty much it. It's basically one long Jamie gets humiliated scene. Um, 
What do you well, think? I'm glad they have horse urine in a canteen. Yeah, I thought about that. I was like, there's <laughs> no way somebody that involves like that's one of those pranks that the setup is so elaborate that you're like, okay, you're gonna be sitting on this like what's his name? Locke? He probably filled that thing yeah. up with horse urine like two days ago and he's just waiting. Yeah. He's just yeah, sitting it seems on silly. it. And whose canteen is that now? That person's screwed. Yeah. Um <laughs> But I did think it was in the context of the later scene. I did think it was a pretty good scene in that we see just how far Jamie has fallen, and also realize like how he, you know, these are guys he prior Jamie with his hand maybe could have carved up this entire group of people, and now he's just getting shoved around. In addition to being weak, so I do think it was a pretty good scene to show how far far he's fallen. Yeah, and I will say this is something I think that uh, gives us an insight into George R. R. Martin's um, philosophy here because he's all about. Uh, Hillary's all against personal vengeance. And here we see a scene where we hate Jamie, or maybe you do at this point because he's basically an attempted child murderer. He has sex with his sister. He probably deserves something awful to happen to him. And then we get the awful thing happening to him. And because of the brutality and how horrible it is, we are forced to sympathize with him and see him as a human being and not just somebody who is to be punished. Um, yeah, and he also there's a bit of redemption as well uh, with him going out of his way to save Brianna from the brutal raping. Oh, um, is there a redemption do, arc you know? with Jamie? <laughs> we we see flashes of it in yeah. the show. Doug yeah. Grant on uh, hold. Nope. Yeah, please. So next, uh, Tyrion arrives at Varys' house to chat. Uh, Tyrion is seeking info about who tried to murder him. Uh, Varys does not know for sure. Only rumors. Tyrion is apparently seeking to confirm that it was his sister. Varys uh, begins to discuss the story of how he became a eunuch, which he said he would uh, tell uh, Tyrion prior to the Battle of Blackwater. So apparently some jerk drugged him and cut off his dick uh, and balls and set it on fire. And then the flame spoke to the wizard in response. And this is how Varys came to hate magic and also shows uh, why Varys in particular doesn't like uh, Stannis and the Red Woman. Tyrion presses Varys for more info. Uh, about who is attempted assassin or who's behind the assassin of various preaches patience explains how he started from the bottom now he's here uh essentially he became a after like getting a rap his, song <laughs> yeah uh so various explains how uh after he was kicked out by the wizard who um uh, cut his balls off um he was essentially a greasy blackmail or prostitute guy and thanks to his patience he now has the sorcerer so he can exact his revenge and and the lesson to Tyrion is that revenge will be Tyrion's if he has the stomach and the patience. And this is kind of the first hint that um, Varys is, I think, a little crueler and a little uh, kind of crazier than well, I thought. And this up, is all show this. invention. Uh, not the yeah. story, but uh, Varys getting his revenge on the sorcerer. This is That part is show invention. Once again, kind of you notice how it almost undercuts the point I just made um, with uh, the redemption of Jaime or getting Jaime getting his uh, just desserts? Yeah, um, that's because it's bullshit made up by the showrunners, and they don't really understand <laughs> what George R. R. Martin, the story George R. R. Martin, is starting to tell. Um, but I wanted to ask uh, Varys, what is? I still don't believe that this is his uh, true intentions. He's saying his true intentions are personally motivated by n- wanting to be revolted or being revolted by magic and Stannis's red priestess and the red god. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't know either, but I mean, he does. He there are several scenes prior to this episode where he mentions her, and I think that also continues. He expresses his distrust of her and how much he doesn't like her. So, I mean, at least it's consistent. I guess, yeah, you're right. Uh, if there's nothing else, uh, we'll move on. Uh, we go up north to Craster's Creep, and 
Uh, Gren and Dolores are helping out uh, as they stay at Craster's by tending the pig pen, uh, pig pens and cleaning out shit. And they're complaining a little bit. Um, you know, they're having to, they're staying there basically rent free. Uh, so they're gonna do the chores, but they're gonna complain about it. And meanwhile, Rass is just standing around talking shit. Um, uh, and then Sam is also hanging out with the new mother of Crasser's uh, newest offspring. Her name is Gilly. And <laughs> she really doesn't want her baby disposed of, and she begs Sam for help. Um, and, oh yeah, she also tells Sam, uh, same thing we've been saying, that his thimble is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't want it. <laughs> she wants her baby to live. Uh, so Sam's getting the, getting the gist pretty slowly here. Um, but yeah, this is a flowering uh, romance between Gilly and Sam. Yes, yeah, just kind of also just an okay scene uh, between the two parts of it. That's fine. But it did kind of set up. It set up two things that are, are going to happen in this episode. Uh, you know, so right. Yeah, so totally it's fine. functionally fine, ep- fine scene. Nothing really to complain about here. Exactly, exactly. So next we go to Bran, and he's in a dream chasing a raven. Uh, and I struggled whether to say that uh, Gojin Freddy Kruegered his way into the dreams or if he inceptioned his way into Bran's dreams. But um, he tells Bran to climb the tree to, ca- to catch the raven. Cat is up on the tree uh, to tell him not to climb, but then it seems like almost shoves him similar to uh, what Jamie did. Bran awakes to see uh, Jojen watching him sleep kind of creepily. Are we to interpret... Um his mother functioning as like a, like his own personal reservations or his fears. Gosh, I don't know. I thought it was kind of an odd inclusion, especially that she kind of reenacted what Jamie did. Um, and I'm not really sure how to interpret it other than it shows it's, it is, it's his own fears that have been bred into it by his mother, uh, right. bred into him by his mother. So yeah, I think you're pretty close on that one. Uh, I don't know what else it could really be. Well, when I studied dream analogy in, uh, or uh, analytics in college, uh, sure. we talked about that water represents unconscious, and if you see your mother in a dream, it means you want to have sex with her. So I think that basically sums up that scene. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> was that after phrenology classes? <laughs> that was after bowling, um, which I actually really did take in college. Yep, that sounds about right. So Vari's and his new informant, Roz, discuss Podrick's sexual prowess uh, it isn't due to his size, but I guess technique, and it's hard to describe. Whatever. Uh, then they move on to talk about Littlefinger and how he's busy, too busy uh, preparing for his journey north to really care about uh, the business dealings and the lost earnings from the Podrick uh, encounter. Uh, Roz can read, uh, and she discovers that Littlefinger is preparing to bring another person of importance with him since he did request two feather beds in his manifesto. And I'm guessing that's some kind of like a request for things you want on a boat and not kind of like a suicide note before you go on a murder rampage. I think there are, those are the same thing or not. They use the same word, but they're different, uh, different things. The homonym. They're both, they're both plans, I guess. Plans. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything to say about this? Um, not really. I, the, the bring up the pot thing. I did, kind of didn't like that a second yeah, time. I said the same thing. It's the same joke. I don't think it pays off, though, the second time, because they're basically just repeating the same joke. It's just different people are interested. Right. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was kind of silly, but whatever. Yeah, right. It's like Uh, when when you're with somebody, you meet somebody out for a drink or something, and and they tell you this awesome story or joke, and then somebody else shows up, and you got to hear it again. And you're just like, okay. 
Yeah, but they they're also leaving the Joker story also left a big question. Um, I know it's stupid that the, we don't really need to be concerned with the answer of how he fucks so good, but um, you know, I, I I don't know, I don't know. I just didn't. It wasn't for me, but that's fun. Uh, yep. I don't think that the show is known for its uh, humor, other than um, Pycelle farting. <laughs> so uh, Joff is giving Marge a tour of the sept, Great Sept of Baylor. Uh, he thinks it's very funny that people are dead. At the same time, Olena and Cersei are making wedding plans. Uh, Cersei tries to cock block, but Marjorie kind of plays along and says she's interested in where all these dead people are interned or entombed. I'm not sure there's a correct term there. Um Elena describes how she was married at the Sept, while Cersei says that Robert's bones were sent back to Winterfell. Which let me pause here. That raised a question to me: Would Robert or uh, Stannis? The Stormlands, yeah. The Stormlands, yeah. So would Stannis take those bones back and give Robert a proper burial? Uh, I would assume so. Like it seems like um, it's kind of like the Night's Watch. This is me just talking out of my ass here, but from everything I gather, I think it'd be like, you know, when you join the Night's Watch, your sins and your quote-unquote past lives have been forgiven. Uh, I think that'd be the same way with death. I think that people would, you know, hate the person. Like, I think if if Mormont uh, was still alive, spoiler alert, and Jorah came home uh, dead, his dad would probably bury him on the, I don't know, the family farm. Yeah, hate it, you know, be like resentful, but still like, you know, well, this is our son. So I think there'd be love there. I don't think um, Stannis hates him to the point where he'd like, I don't know, ground up his bones yeah, and light him on the fire like again they, or something. It's not like they actually they fought Stannis and Robert. They didn't. They were at odds, and uh, Rob Stannis didn't. Oh yeah, that's Robert. true. And yeah, Stannis doesn't yeah. hate him. He, I mean, if it was Renly, that'd be a, a deeper question, I would think. Right, and I think if it's a family tradition, then Stannis is the exact one that would follow through on that that family tradition if he right. doesn't like it. So, so Elena mentions that um, Mace is a fool. He was involved in a rebellion, but he the only rebellion he did was against his waistline. Back to Marjorie and uh, Shithead, and he's mentioning how Robert Baratheon wanted to trash all of the Targaryen bones, but but they decided to bury them at the Step because uh, they were important to the building of the kingdom and the Step specifically. Marge then convinces uh, Joff to go wave at the hoi polloi outside, and Cersei apparently thinks this is a bad idea, but she's distracted by Olenna and is not able to intercede. And so uh, Marge and um, Joff go out on the patio to people screaming, and uh, they love Marjorie, I believe. And I, and I don't know, this This is certainly uh, behind the scenes, I think, that we know the Tyrells are feeding all of the uh, all of the poor people. So they love Marge now, and I think that uh, Marge is probably also planting, um, between Marge and Elena, at least planting uh, information that, you know, Joffrey was responsible for the defense of Yeah, Kingsman. Joffrey's getting the runoff, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so, um, so uh, that Cersei is upset uh, because she realizes that she is almost completely has almost completely lost uh, Joffrey at this point to the Tyrells. They control him. Yeah, was that a coordinated effect? That uh, um, a coordinated uh, attack on Cersei? I, don't know. I mean, because because the know. way just yeah. listening to you describe it, it sounds like um, she was almost intentionally distracted by Olena in order to get some physical distance between her and Joffrey, so that Marjorie could make this play. Uh, I didn't. Th- yeah. I didn't see that watching the episode, but now that you uh, recounted it, I... yeah. No, Lena's kind of bringing up nonsense. Yeah. Um. And and I think Marjorie's purposely trying to lead him away and get him some distance as soon as they have the distance. Uh. Then you know she takes him outside to greet the people. 
Uh, I did want to point out a couple things. It seemed like Olena and Cersei almost had a bond there. They both like laughed over the injustice of the male dominance in their world, um, how the men are in charge and they should, you know, the women should be. Uh, but Cersei seems to snap out of it um, uh, with some ridiculous line like, "Oh, well, you know, that's the way it is," or like, "That's the way the gods made it," or some such bullshit. Uh, yeah. Basically, she just, you know, she identified, but then she realized, "Hey, I don't like you," uh, and I guess she. Snap back into herself. Yeah, because they're seizing all the power. She's watching. She was the 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 king shit or queen shit around there, and it seems to be all going the way of the Tyrells now. Uh, she's Any not seizing all in. the power. I think she's. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get their slice of the power. Which I mean, if you yeah. marry the king, you're going to get some power. That's the whole point of the marriage. So their family is going to ascend. It's just the amount uh, that they will ascend. And once again, it's. You know, ridiculous in this situation because, you know, uh, the whole thing is he's the, the Cersei's grasp on power is so tenuous anyway because this is a bastard child who's not even legitimate. Um, so it's 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 interesting. Um, and we see later Tywin's not having any of her uh, of her power because she, she's done a terrible job so far. Oh yeah, I I did like that Tywin scene. I can't wait. Okay, moving on. Uh, Theon and his rescuer are heading back to Deepwood Mott to where uh, Asha slash Yara is waiting. Uh, the guy said he was sent by Yara to infiltrate and rescue Theon, and he was just uh, did everything he was told and waited for the right moment. Claims he was a boy in the Iron Islands and saw the ship that carried Theon away as a boy, and his dad said, that's the last living son of Balon Greyjoy, son. I don't know. This is a ridiculous story. Anyway, um, as they get closer to the castle uh they sneak around on foot and enter a sewer um because he claims that the rescuer claims that uh, not all the men at deepwood mott are loyal to yara but some are loyal to theon's dad i guess sowing discontent there um uh theon just bitches about not being rob stark or not being a stark in general and then he just has a breakdown and basically cries I suppose the beans about Dagmar killing the boys and how the Stark children never found him, uh, and how he all he wanted to do was make his daddy proud, but now he realizes that his real daddy was Ned Stark and he's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and then I'll just finish this off real quick. After all the blubbering, Theon is led into a dark room, and his rescuer lights a torch and has revealed that he led him right back to the same torture room uh, he was rescued from. Ha ha. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I did find the juxtaposition pretty amazing between Theon losing it and think he's in a safe place and he's admitting to himself finally how fucked up, how bad he screwed up and that it was his real dad. And then he's right back into the torture chamber. Um, but as we discussed, I, we, we, neither of us really liked this uh, show invented storyline, yeah, at least but, but the depiction is, of the storyline. This is at least like the least offensive. I think this is actually yeah. oh, somewhat great. creative. Um because we don't see any of Theon's torture, really. We just see the aftermath of it. Like I said, in the books, he just kind of disappears and shows up just all sorts of fucked up. Right. Um, and do we get, like, and the worst part in the books is he's skinning or flaying Theon alive. Oh. Yeah. Like, taking off piece of his, his skin. I don't think we ever really get much of that. I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, I, I guess there, he just I cut to the chase and cut off later. dicks. I think there is some flaying later. Um, but... Anyways, uh, real quick, uh, let me see. I did want to say something. Do you remember this at all, watching it for the first time? Because you were a show-only viewer at this point still, right? Yeah. I, to tell you the truth, I don't think I really knew what the hell was going on. You know, it seemed kind of crazy. Yeah. It was a shock, but 
it was so like there's so many storylines and i if you're just a casual watcher, it's so hard to keep up with. That's everything. what I would think. I mean, like yeah. the, the Boltons when they captured Jamie and Brienne, you're probably like, "Who are these people?" I don't, I don't right. know what's going on. Uh, but yeah, I I remember watching this and 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 thinking that this was confusing. And I guess I had some kind of, you know, I knew he was captured by the Dreadfort, and I was just waiting for that to be revealed or hinted at. And uh, yeah, I I don't, I, I didn't seem very clear. It just mean, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like Theon was getting tortured for some reason i feel like maybe they could have uh hinted at uh bolton's bastard you know you know ramsey did mention his son. no uh roos did mention his son a couple times in the previous season yes. right my bastard is going to do this yeah yeah and i think they should have dropped more hints about that or kind of fleshed that out a little bit more yeah and we also don't know the motivation behind it uh for quite a while until roos returns and and uh ramsey explains what or shows how 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 destroyed uh, Theon is, but you know, I still don't know what the entire motivation behind it is, other than he's a fucking lunatic. I don't even care about know? the motivation. I think you're right. I think it has to do with the orientation and where who this guy is, yeah. what's going on. And I, I, all it would have taken is a couple lines from like uh, Rob questioning his bolt, his bastard, saying, "Isn't your son a little bit of a psychopath? We've heard disturbing, you know, rumors of him, you know, right. torturing people or something like that. Just that little bit of a hint would have set it up. I think." Uh, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. So next we go back to Locke and the gang, and they've camped for the night. Jamie is giving up, so Brienne attempts to give him a pep talk, uh, basically live for revenge. Jamie pouts about his hand while Brienne tells uh, Jamie, welcome to the real world. Uh, this apparently works as he begins to eat, and then Brienne brings up how her family isn't actually wealthy. Uh, although she is the daughter of a king, or at least a, a, a noble person, so you would think that they would have enough money to ransom off to these clowns. At least not to, uh, they have a get out of rape type money, you would think, but uh, who knows. <laughs> um, so, and then uh, that's kind of the end of it. Uh, Jamie, we kind of get a sense that Jamie is a little bit nicer now, and he actually cares about Brand, or at least doesn't want her to see uh, injustice in the form of that rape. So, you think he's starting a redemption arc, or? Uh, barely. Moving on, I do not want to go on a Doug rant tonight. Um, okay, good. But this pisses me off. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. All right, so uh, this is a great scene with uh, Tywin uh, busy writing while Cersei is just sitting around waiting patiently to talk to her dad, I guess, and uh, it's just it's very awkward. Um, but occasionally she, or eventually she breaks the silence asking what he's doing to get back Jamie. Um, Tywin says he started a war to, uh, because Tyrion was kidnapped. So what do you think he's doing for Jamie? And she replies, everything you can, a little bit of a dig on Tywin, which I guess he's indulging her. Um, then Cersei then complains that Tywin doesn't love her as much or respect her as much as her other children because she's not a man. Um, says the Tyrells are a problem and large Marge is manipulating Joffrey, which she totally is. Uh, but Tywin comes back and says, I don't tr- it's the reason I don't trust you is not because you're a woman, it's because you're dumb. And uh she tells Tywin uh and he elaborates that he can't she can't control Joffrey and she complains, Well, you just try to control him and he accepts the challenge. Um I enjoyed the scene. I did too. Good acting. Uh just awful move on Cersei's part, completely misreading the situation as well as Tywin's uh uh, appreciation of her, and I think that 
read online that this is actually the first scene where it's just been Cersei and Tywin speaking one-on-one, which I think tells you how much importance he assigns to her in general, even before this scene. Yeah, that's 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 a good uh, a good point out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that you know uh, it's in the the book he's Tywin's always writing, and in the scene he's always writing, and it uh, has a show theory that or book theory rather that Tywin is actively writing letters to both Roos Bolton and um, Walter Frey, coordinating oh, yeah. the Red Wedding through th- these letters. So when he says, I'm doing everything I can to get Jamie back, this is exactly what he's trying to do. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. I don't know that we get any hints that that's what's going on, but that would make total sense. No, and in uh, the book, uh, Jamie is captured by uh, Bolton forces, and I think it does play out like that eventually in the show, too. Uh, Locke returns him to uh, Bolton, and then Bolton sets him free. Uh, right. But that's because Bolton has already started a uh, dialogue with Tywin. Sure, sure. So next we go to Lady Elena. She's out in her garden, and she's upset about some needlepoint uh, from another niece or whoever the heck that lady is, granddaughter. Apparently the the uh, Tyrell house's uh, phrase or whatever is roses grow strong. Uh, Growing grow strong. strong. Growing strong, and the symbols are rose, which is uh, kind of wimpy compared to everyone else. Varys arrives and introduces himself. Uh, Elena makes some pretty pretty good dick jokes. I think that the uh, the absent bumping up the de- decrepit or something yep. all those lines. The non-existent yeah. <laughs> bumping up against yeah. the decrepit, which was a good line. Yeah, she will not allow Varys uh, to sit, even though he's come to treat with her. Which it's uh, she's kind of just playing him. It's it's pretty funny to watch him fold very quickly. I think the implication is that she's even next level beyond him, but I, I don't know if he's just trying not to piss her off to start their relationship. Uh, Varys uh, that and Elena then go for a stroll, and they discuss the fate of Ned and how Varys wants to save Sansa from going with Littlefinger because he's so dangerous. If Rob falls, Sansa is the key to the north. And Varys likes Littlefinger and that he's a sparring partner, but he's concerned about uh, Littlefinger's greed for power. And there's a good line. I didn't write it down, but um, – uh, I think it was uh, the, the uh, Littlefinger would rather rule a kingdom of ashes or something on those lines. Um, and this, I think the scene is good in that uh, it shows that Varys is kind of the protector of the realm as he asserts himself to be. Yeah, but that's um, so fucking boring, and I don't, yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that motivation. I don't like his motivation being that transparent. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, because the book, be. we talked about it a little, uh, it's, it's definitely not. As transparent, you you get the hint that there might be some shenanigans, and there's obviously no. Doesn't seem like there's many shenanigans at this point. Yeah, um, and the scene ends by them, the two of them, having an obvious plan, which uh, feeds into the next scene. Yeah, and it's to whatever because it, it's all about Sansa Stark and, um, you know, uh, what's to become of her? I don't know. Uh, basically, hinting at yes, what's going to come in the next scene, but uh, a couple things. Uh, this whole like conversation that's the time waste until Varys arrives is just one of those audience member conversations about like, you know, I imagine like just two two doofuses watching Game of Thrones saying, "I hope the Starks win." No, I hope the uh, Lannisters win. <laughs> I don't know. And then also get into the same conversation about shit. A rose is a sigil. That's stupid. Like, I I, I just I think it's ridiculous uh, audience pandering here. Um. And it's a it's an awful conversation. She's just such a great uh, actress. I think she brings something to it. I, I like the scene, um, but you're entitled to your opinion. 
No, you're entitled to your opinion, you piece of shit. All right, so uh, Sansa's praying at a stone (laughs) for some fucking reason. Uh, Once again, oh, God, I got to go on a Doug rant. Sorry. Doug rant. Um, So, yeah, uh, religion is important in the show. Uh, Religion is important in real life. People vote because of religious reasons. Uh, And the show constantly shits all over or undervalues the religion. Um, uh, Sansa Stark prays that the, uh, she goes, she retreats to the old gods or she would retreat to the seven, um, which would be a sept and the old gods would be a forest. This is just on the side of a cliff staring at the other side of a cliff of the, like the, uh, the ground to the right. Um, it's dumb. Um, it just shows the showrunners are lazy and they said, Hey, this is a beautiful place to film a scene. Uh, moving on, Doug ran over. Uh, basically, she's praying at a rock, and uh, Marge comes around, um, says hello. Large Marge makes small talk and asks Sansa what she's praying for. Sansa is reluctant to share, so Large Marge tells a ridiculous story about feeling inadequate next to a girl that's more beautiful than she is, and and she gullibly gets uh, Sansa to believe in some kind of made-up disease. They laugh about how dumb Sansa is. <laughs> and Large Marge says that uh, they should be great friends and that Sansa should come and v- visit at Highgarden. And hey, wouldn't it be great if she were to marry Loras, uh, the perpetual bachelor? Um, so we see where the Tyrells grasping is leading. Anything to add? No, not really. Uh, no, <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. Just moving moving the show forward. It's interesting that the Tyrells are kind of paying themselves to get Littlefinger uh, at kind of Varys' behest. Uh, I think that that dynamic's somewhat interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. But the uh, it seems like the Tyrells are just pretty one dimensional here. I mean, uh, in the fact that they just want power, and I guess the the Lannisters already have power and they're trying to protect it. But it seems uh, like the Lannisters definitely more interesting. I mean, obviously we don't have. Uh, as many well fleshed out characters in the Tyrells, right. uh, we got basically Large Marge and Olena, but they yeah, like their motivations are pretty straightforward. They want to uh, better the house, uh, Tyrell. I don't know. Yeah. So next we go back to the creep, and the uh, the the men of the Night's Watch are burning Bannon, uh, some rando who was uh, killed apparently. And Mormont gives a eulogy despite not knowing exactly who he was. Um, Bannon apparently had a broken ankle, but Craster starved him. Uh, Rast uh, wants a revolution, and inside the creep, Rast brings up that Mormont's um, – Craster brings up uh, that uh, Mormont's son. And uh, then uh, Craster says that he has 99 sons and many daughters. I guess the 99 sons were all the sons that have been abandoned to the White Walkers. Uh, Craster's imploring them to leave. Mormont says they will leave once everyone's healed. Uh, Craster says that they should just kill their injured. Uh, some nice watch bros, uh, Rast and Rando, who I think his name is Carl Tanner, uh, get rowdy. Oh, from uh, Home Improvement? <laughs> no, you're thinking of Full House. Um, <laughs> oh, Danny Tanner, so, that's it. Yes, yep. Uh, so Craster... Uh, he Rast and the Rando call him a bastard. Craster gets up to kick them out. Says uh, fetches his axe. Says he's uh, not. Don't call me a bastard again. To which Rando calls him a bastard, a daughter fucking welling bastard. I think is the line. Mormont attempts to intervene, but is killed by Rast. That piece of shit. And there's a lot of quick cuts, a lot of fighting between 
the uh, men of the Night's Watch who are officers who remain loyal uh, versus the uh, real dirtballs of the Night's Watch. Um, Sam scampers out to get Gilly, um, and then they both, after some back and forth, they both scamper away uh, from Craster's Creep. I did enjoy the line by Craster when he said, uh, if you're having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 sons. (laughs) 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 Jesus. Uh, but, but legitimately, no, um, I think I would have enjoyed the scene a lot better in the show perspective if we would have seen more discontent among the Night's Watchmen besides Rast being the, like the mouthpiece for the discontent. Like that's all we, all we see of the discontent is just Rast bitching about it. And the only other people we really see in the Night's Watch are Gren and Dolores. Yeah. Until, yeah. And then all of a sudden. Rando Tanner steps yeah. up. I um, liked Rando Tanner. He seems like a great actor. He seems like yeah. he got a lot. He has lots of presence. I wish they would have just introduced him one other episode ago. Like, and and they could have killed two birds with one stone. They could have introduced him as a character, and they could have had him echo what Rast was saying, so that we know it wasn't just one asshole. Because we already know that Rast is an asshole. How would we? Why would we assume that other people share his opinions? Yeah, or all of a sudden that half the people are just going to join in. Right. Which I think in the book there was a little bit more planning between these creeps. Oh, it's a silent majority. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, the then Rast has this last vow of vengeance against Sam, which I thought was just uh, dumb and ridiculous. Like he just shouts to the night air, run, piggy. <laughs> One yeah. of these nights I'll be whatever. Uh, no, humping your dead body. I don't know what he said, but it was <laughs> dumb. That sounds about right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it said. Yeah, and all this stems from, I guess, Sam being slow in the snow. Yeah, exactly. Like, the hate makes no sense. Like, why would you... Like, I'm starving to death, and also, I really hate fat people. No. (laughs) Yeah. That that just doesn't align. Right, Uh, right. Okay, so, uh, anywho, we uh, join the Brotherhood Without Baths, and uh, they're leading Gendry and Arya blindfolded into a cave. I guess it's their secret rebel base, and the Hound is there. He's unhooded and he's confronted by Beric Dondarrion, who is the leader of the Brothers. Quick backstory, uh, Dondarrion was sent out by Ned Stark to bring the Hound to justice in season one. It was a different actor. That's why you don't recognize him. Um, And basically, these are the leftover uh, men that went out to confront Clegane, which I guess they failed at. Um, And they decided to form a populist movement. Um... And fight for the weak and the people who don't have any representation. Kind of like a uh, Robin Hood and uh, uh, the Funky Bunch or whatever they're called. Sure. Yep. Uh, The Brothers uh, Without Borders uh, level all manner of crimes done by the Lannisters at Clegane. And Clegane's like, I didn't do that shit. Uh, (laughs) And and he's absolutely right. He's just like... Am I, you know, you know, am I? I didn't do that. I didn't do this, and he was absolutely it's not right. Not a crime to be born a, a Clegane. Yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah. a crime. Uh, but then Arya does level. Clegane of, lives matter. That's awful. Um, uh, <laughs> Arya does level a straightforward, direct um, crime at him, saying he murdered Micah, the butcher's boy, from season one. So a lot of season one tie-in here with this uh, scene, uh, and then I think. The hound asks, you know, how he's to be judged, who's going to fight him, and, he's, and they're going to do trial by combat. And uh, Beric Dondarrion says, you're going to be facing me, um, which I guess, you know, as a show watcher, I don't even know why you would care. 
because you just found out this guy <laughs> exists. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many people would have been like, oh, you mean Don Darian from that one like 30 second scene in, in uh, season one? No. So it's, it's yeah, a weird he's, scene. He's a lot cooler in the book. I think we talked about it before. Flaming sword. He fucks shit up at a tournament. Uh, he's, no, no, the, that's Thoros of Mir. Thoros of Mir has a oh. flaming sword, but Beric Dondarrion takes it on after Thoros like uh, converts him by <laughs> resurrecting his dead body. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so, uh, read the book, guys. Okay. Yeah. yeah so many more details. So next, uh, Danny's collecting her army. Uh, apparently, some soldiers are not ready. Uh, Danny is there to fulfill her side of the bargain and gives uh, slave Rando slave man a dragon. He uh, then hands her the talking stick, I guess. Uh, and the transaction yeah, is you complete. can only talk when you hold the stick. Yeah, right. uh, Jorah looks kind of emo while the dragon screeches. Uh, Danny begins giving orders in Valerian, and uh, the slave man calls her a bitch. To which uh, Danny reveals that she speaks their language. She gives Big the order. Reveal. Yeah, <laughs> she gives the uh, the, uh, the unsullied the the order to kill all slave masters, save the children, free free the slaves. Then uh, hits a uh, slave man with a uh, big fat Drew carries, um, and we're made to believe that the entire slaving uh, masters are now wiped out. Uh, so Danny walks through her soldiers and, and frees them, uh, says that they can leave, but she encourages them to fight with her as free men. This is an excellent solution to the uh, slave army issue that had been brought up between uh, Jorah and uh, what's his nuts earlier in the last scene or last episode. Unsullied begin tapping their spears, indicating that they will join her. Uh, Jorah and Be- uh, what the hell's the guy's name? Barristan Sami. Yeah, Jorah and Barristan kind of give each other a uh, I love it when a plan comes together type look. <laughs> um, and then so Danny and the army exit the slave city while she symbolically drops the talking stick, uh, thus giving her her army. Yeah, um, uh, now that you mention it, these both those actors seem like they could have been on the A-team <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, 30 years ago or today. Um, but yeah, I this is one of the better moments in the book and it comes out of nowhere I feel because Danny just plays it so much more naive as a as like a a, a girl who doesn't know what's going on um almost like a child and the for her to pull this shit off by like not telling anybody not telling Jorah not telling Barristan keeping her own counsel and knowing she's going to do this the whole time basically uh cheating her way um but brilliantly because she's basically like eh, rules don't matter you guys are terrible people so, well, okay. she has the the slave. There's no reason that she can't take over a city with the the uh, the yeah. army she's off of them. I mean, yeah, it's like when I hold down a little kid who's you know half my size no. and I say, no, no, "Stop no. punching yourself." Stop. No, you thought it was going to go somewhere else, didn't you? Yeah, I was concerned. No, uh, stop punching yourself. I mean, the guy's fist is making contact with his face. No, I, I yeah. it's definitely underhanded. It's you can lo- you can argue that yeah, it's it all comes out in the wash, but that's bullshit. Uh, this is uh, some underhanded bullshit, but at the same time, it's totally justified, and I think it's awesome. Um, I think it's just underwhelming uh, on the, the show level because she has the entire Unsullied kill the masters in the entire city. All we see is like one square, and like two or three people get stabbed. Uh, yeah. These people fucking wrecked an entire town. Like, um, It was just so much more... Um, badass in the book. Uh, but anyway, I like that 
Jorah like looks at her at one point and is just like, oh man, she is so out of my league uh, when she pulls this move. I just thought that was a great look. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They could have scaled it up maybe, but then you start looking at this is an episode of Dragons. Uh, not, maybe then, the budget gets out of control. They could have just thing. had like one or two Unsullied uh, walking down, I don't know, Universal City Walk uh, in, or someplace where it looks like it's kind of like, you know, the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular. Just have them sure. run around that shit and stab like a couple guys and repeat that, like reverse the angle, maybe change the time of day. Uh, do that two or three times just to show that like, and, and they did have one of these pullout uh, shots of the city, but only like a small section was like burning or had smoke. They should have just, uh, this was a massive, massive attack. Basically, she wrecked this whole town, like uh, this yeah. whole city. And it is, you know, she conquers it, basically. She conquers, this is one of the three cities in Slaver Bay's at Bay that she conquers. Um, and I think it's just kind of like uh, a little underwhelming here. What did you think when you saw this scene the first time? I thought it was good. I mean, I enjoyed it. And, you know, I think the simple explanation is if these slavers are obtaining a dragon, this is probably a big day. I would assume that all the bigwigs in the town would be there. Check out this dragon. But I, I thought it was a good scene. I, I probably had, sounds like I had lower expectations. And I, I you know, I didn't expect uh, that plan on Danny's behalf. And when it happened, it was really awesome, uh, especially because they've been setting up that um, Krasnus or whatever his name is to get his comeuppance. And so that was really satisfying to see him realize how he got played and then also get killed at the same time. Always rewarding to see the the paint by numbers come to <laughs> come to fruition. There. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, I know. Yeah. All right. Um. Oh, one thing I did want to say that I missed. I had a note here about um. We didn't talk about Jorah dying very much. We were just like moved past it. But um, this is the same. Uh, John is the most stereotypical hero in the show for sure. Um, and with any stereotypical hero story. Uh, you know, Joseph Campbell will tell you that the uh, the wise elderly father figure will have to die for the hero to uh, progress to the next level. And um, John has lost his foster dad, Ned Stark. Uh, wasn't his real dad. John's a bastard, just like Harry Potter and Luke Skywalker. Uh, and he's lost uh, to a smaller extent. Uh, who's that guy? The um, half hand. You know, he met him in like four and a half. Hands. Yeah, he met yeah. him one day and then lost him the next. But essentially, he's playing the same role. And um, let's not forget the bear, uh, Gior uh, Mormont, I guess that's his name, was grooming him for command. So he was like a father figure to John. He gave him a goddamn invaluable Valyrian seal sword that was a fair family heirloom, for Christ's sake. And now this guy's dead. So I feel like yeah, it's just. The, the larger point of that, too, is that uh, it appears that the night's watch uh, is thrown into chaos because I think Jor Mormont was the only one who was actually a real leader at the place. I mean, wasn't the second in command that asset who got sent away for harassing Jon Snow. Alistair Thorne. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the lack of leadership now and the fact that they lost a significant portion of their, or, I mean, uh, I wonder if the majority of the, the ranging party between the fist and between the Craster's incident. That's what they allude to. They allowed. Yeah. They allude to that uh, majority of those people that went out didn't come back. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So overall, things happened. Let's just say that things happened this yeah. episode. Uh, Jorah dies, or Gior. God damn it, fucking names. Uh, Gior dies. Uh, Danny gets a slave army by pulling some awesome badass underhanded shit. Um, 
And that's pretty much it. It just, I feel like, yeah, there's a level of momentum that things are building and I'm liking it. The first uh, few episodes in the season were kind of a letdown, right? Yeah, they were. And I remembered them being better. I think we've discussed this, but this one, I think, I thought this was a pretty good episode. Um, not Nothing particularly weak. And I thought some pretty strong scenes and also just a lot of stuff moving forward. Um, I didn't think they really wasted too much screen time. Yeah, this was a good one for me. Okay, uh, let's put it to a rating. I'm going to go 3.5. Once again, that's a 10-point uh, scale uh, on five stars, I guess we'll call it, with uh, half increments. So that's uh, you got zero, you got half star, you got one star, you got uh, one and a half star, and you got two. <sighs> so it's it's tedious. This? What are you going to give this? <laughs> I'm going to give it a five guys, burgers and fries. Ooh, um, that's pretty good. They got yeah. peanuts on the floor. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that part. But uh, 3.5 <laughs> for me. 3.5. That's uh, 3.5, 3.5. Let's see. That is a 3.5 overall. That's a great uh, score for um, this crew anyway. Uh, so, yeah, an enjoyable episode of Game of Thrones. Sometimes it's not awful to do this podcast. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically what it boils down to. I'm looking at season seven, going, "Let's get to season seven, please." Ah, damn it! It's going to be so far away. It is so far away. Uh, who knows? They haven't yeah. even announced when it's coming back, or did they? I don't care. Yeah. Um, we're going to keep doing this. Oh, and a special holiday announcement. Um, we have uh, the holidays coming up. Um, non-denominational holidays going on the next couple weeks. So uh, we will get you an episode on Tuesday, like normal. We just don't know how good it's going to be, or um, uh, or that's it. <laughs> we have no idea the, uh, the, the the level of inebriation. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get it get her done, as it were. But once again, we do not promise quality here on Ashamed of Thrones. We promise um, repetition and um, you know predictability. Let's say. All right. Very good. Ringing endorsement from Doug. Okay. Uh, yeah. And did you know that uh, Ashamed of Thrones is now on Stitcher? So people that have Android machines can uh, subscribe to the podcast now. So that's kind of cool, right? Absolutely. Terrible co-host. Uh, also, my throat is killing me right now. Okay. Yes. Uh, Brian is sick. Sorry for such a quick episode. This is under 45 minutes. Uh, we'll bring the thunder next week, guys. Uh, but thank you for listening. Uh, rate and review the show on iTunes and I guess Stitcher if they allow such a thing. Uh, and also catch up on um, The Shameful Dead, even though that show's on break uh, for the mid-season hiatus, let's call it. Uh, we appreciate all the reviews and we appreciate, uh, what is it, Sam Shoe? Yes. Our number one and only fan. Yep, so uh, let's make this longer, Doug. <laughs> Die. Yeah, all right, fine. Uh, okay. See you next Tuesday, guys. Bye.